Having the right commitments in our lives direct our focus to what matters, to the things that have eternal worth. This is the fifth message in the series, It's Time to Change Your Mind. The message is entitled, Evaluate Your Commitments. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, we're in part five of a series of messages entitled, It's Time to Change Your Mind, and I want to talk to you this weekend about evaluating the commitments of your life. We're talking about the importance of learning how to think uh, in a better, more healthy, and holy way, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. Your mind matters a lot to God. We've been using a key verse of Scripture uh, really is our launching point for each of these messages. Actually, next weekend will be our final message in the series. And by the way, I mentioned to you last week that we, were, we had a book that uh, is prepared uh, to give to you. It's our gift to you, but uh, we had an issue with the publishers this week, and so or the printers, I should say, and so it's not quite ready. So please forgive me. We'll have that ready for you next weekend uh, so you don't want to miss our last message in the series next weekend. But we're talking about this book, this passage of Scripture. It says, be careful what you think, key word there, be careful what you think, because your thoughts are doing what? You should know this verse by now. Your thoughts are running your life. And as I was thinking about this idea, this concept, uh, it really struck me that actually Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, he focused on the idea of thinking also. I think many times we don't really realize that Jesus addressed our thought process, but I want you to notice the first sermon that Jesus, that first recorded sermon that we have in the Bible of Jesus and what he said. This is his beginning of his ministry. He's just been baptized. He's come out of the wilderness of temptation, and he begins his ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to do what? Preach. And what was his first word? We'll come back to that in a moment. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus starts his ministry, and the very first word that is recorded of Jesus' ministry is the word, say it with me again, repent. Now, usually when we think of that word repent, we sometimes will have a bit of a negative connotation as though God is mad at you and God is sort of getting on you about something and is trying to correct something. And certainly there's a corrective nature to that word. But actually the word in the Greek language is the word metanoia. And the basic meaning of that word repent or metanoia is change your mind or change the way that you think. And so when Jesus came on the scene, uh, Israel had been embracing uh, uh, sort of a, a distant relationship with God through laws and ceremonies and regulations. And Jesus said, I want you to repent or change your mind because I'm here. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he goes on to preach uh, what that difference makes and how it made uh, during his time. And certainly that makes uh, such a difference for our time as well. Paul picks up this theme as well. We're all talking about changing our thinking. Look at what Paul said. We've read this a few times in this series. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God do what? Transform. That word is also change you. Metamorphosis is the idea of the word. Into a new person by changing the way you think. There it is again. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So all of these passages that I've read to you, along with many more that we could look at, talk to us about our thinking process. And we've been looking at different elements of our thinking process. We've talked about our perspective. We've talked about expectations. We've talked about our attitude. And I want to talk this weekend about another aspect of your thinking that maybe you've never really connected with, with your thought process, but it, it is an essential aspect of it, and that relates to the commitments of your life. 
Your commitment, the commitments that you make in your life really reflect the way you think, your mindset. Oftentimes we talk about setting your mind to do something or setting your mind to be something. You set your mind to maybe work out or you set your mind to learn a musical instrument or you set your mind on going to a particular vacation or you set your mind or your heart on a relationship. These things relate to your thinking process and they also reflect a sense of commitment in your life. When you set your mind to something, you are making a commitment to something. So these come together. And I want to talk to us about this idea of commitment. As I was looking through Scripture and preparing this message several weeks ago, and I was thinking about this whole element of commitment, I began to realize that first and foremost, the Bible talks about God's commitments to us, that God never asks you and I to do something unless He has now demonstrated it by His nature and by His character. So let's walk through just a little bit of a foundation before I give you some things tonight that you can work on in your life as well. Let's remember a few things about commitment. Jesus committed himself to us, did he not? Of course he did. Look at what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, there it is, as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here's the commitment. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, that's commitment, being made in human likeness, being formed in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. I would say that was a big commitment. Would you agree? Even death on a cross. So Jesus was committed to us and indeed is. Now, of course, the Father God is committed to us. God is committed to you and me as well. This is, again, found all throughout the pages of Scripture. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, what it says. These are the words of Jesus speaking about the Heavenly Father. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your Heavenly Father, what does He do? feeds them, that's commitment, are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus has demonstrated his commitment to us. God is committed to us. And then God calls you and me to be committed to him. That when you and I enter into a relationship with God, it is a commitment. That's, all, that's really what a relationship is. You, make a, you have a relationship with a person means you're making a commitment. The relationship, as we'll talk about later, goes deeper by, by way of commitment. The deeper the commitment, the deeper the relationship. And so God calls us to commit to him. Take a look at this particular verse of Scripture and the commitment we're called to. Same chapter of Matthew, chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Now, a master is someone that rules over you, someone that you're committed to obeying. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In this particular case, he says you cannot serve both God and money. I would go as far as to say and think the Scripture is very clear. You can't serve God and anything else. Okay. God has to have first place in your life. So it's not just money, but it's anything that becomes an idol that is a call to commitment. 
God also calls us to be committed to something called the church. The church is the gathered group of God's believers in in any local gathering. We're a local church, and God calls us to be committed to a church. You need to be committed to a church. We all do. It's a call that's been given to us to make this kind of commitment. Take a look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Again, I'm laying a foundation for where we're going to go in just a moment in terms of our duties and what we learn about commitment in our lives. Not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up, what? Meeting together, coming together as the church. Don't let that drift from your life. We're also called to share the gospel with other people. We're called to make that commitment. It's not just something that's an option. Jesus wants each one of us engaged in telling the good news. Would you agree with me that the world has enough bad news? Would you agree with that, right? And does the, does the world have enough bad news messengers? <laughs> no question about that. 24-7 news cycles all over the place and bad news, bad news, bad news. So there's plenty of bad news. And so Jesus calls us to not be disseminators of bad news, but to be distributors of sharing the gospel, which literally means good news. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, here's our call to commitment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we're called, very important, to make a commitment to one another. We need each other. You and I can't make it in our spiritual life alone. I'm glad I have brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't you? I'm glad I have brothers that are holding me up in prayer and helping me along in my journey. And I hope that I can do the same for others. And we have people that are part of our faith journey and we're to be committed to them in relationship. That's why Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. That's a commitment. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, that's all of us as believers in Christ, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So what I've laid out for you is just the basic idea, very quickly, six things I gave you that gives us an understanding that commitment is really big to God and you can't commit without the right mindset. Your mind gets involved in commitment. Commitment is engaging your mind to choose a certain aspect of your life. Right commitments and wrong commitments, for that matter, have to do with your thinking process. So I'm going to share with you over these next several moments as we're sort of moving toward the end of this series. Next weekend, we'll wrap it up uh, with our last message together. Actually, I think there are two more messages in the series. But I'm going to talk to you about this whole idea of commitment in your life. How do you set your mind in the right way and what are the benefits of doing so? I like, one of the things that helps me in my life is I like to know the benefit of doing something, don't you? Okay. Because if I know the benefit of it, it motivates me, it inspires me to engage in it much more actively and much more uh, enthusiastically. So let's look at some benefits of having your mind in the right place in terms of commitments in your life. Here's our first benefit. Right commitments, first of all, they direct your attention to what is valuable and important. 
Your attention is what, again, you set your mind on. All of us here tonight only have a certain amount of resources in our life, correct? Your basic resources are your time, your treasure, and your talents. We don't, we don't have unlimited time, correct? Okay. Even in our daily schedules, we only have a certain amount of time. And when it comes to your life, you only have a certain amount of time. You don't know, nor do I, how long that time is. You have a certain amount of treasure that you have access to in your life. And you have a certain amount of talent that you are given. But they're limited in terms of quantity. You don't have an unlimited supply. And so you've got to make a choice as to what you're going to do with your time and your treasure and your talents because you're not going to take any of that stuff with you when you die, right? Once we're done here, we're done here. Now, heaven is a different place. I don't know everything that's going to happen in heaven, but I assure you it's going to be a whole different time scale in heaven. It's not, we, we won't, I, I don't have the perception that we'll be wearing watches in heaven. I don't think we'll be worried about calendars in heaven, right? Or day planners in heaven. Why? Because we're going to live forever and ever and ever. You don't really have to worry about what time is it when you're going to live forever, right? And so we don't have to worry about that's not going to be a part of heaven, but we do have to worry about it now. I do know you're not going to take any of your treasure with you to heaven. You leave all that behind. It's been said before, and I've said it before, and perhaps you've heard other people say it before. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It just doesn't happen, okay? You don't take stuff with you. You can put everything you want to put in your casket. It's not going to go beyond the casket. It'll be in the ground with you uh, in your body as it deteriorates over time. So these, these are limited, and, and you're not going to take them with you. And the problem is you've got all these voices screaming at you every day for your time and for your treasure and for your talents. And so a commitment says, I'm going to make commitments. I'm going to think about my time. I'm going to think about my treasure. I'm going to think about my talents, and I'm going to choose where I'm going to invest them. I'm going to choose where I'm going to direct the attention of these three things and make commitments accordingly to the things that actually matter, the things that are valuable and really important. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Here's the commitment to the right resources. This is what a commitment is all about. You're directing your resources, but store up for yourselves where treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's our second benefit of making the right commitments, thinking the right way. Right commitments drive your energy, okay? Commit, the right kind of commitments in your life actually motivate you in a direction. They, they move you in a direction. If you have the right commitments, they actually energize your life to those things that really matter. It sparks energy inside of you. If you say, I'm committed to my marriage, for example, what that then implies is you're going to put energy into that marriage relationship. If you're committed to your job, what are you going to do? You're going to put energy into that job. And so commitment relates to energy. I like to think of it this way. Commitments in your life are the workhorses of your life. 
That's really what a, all a commitment is. It's the workhorse of your life. I'm committed to this, I'm committed to this, and I'm committed to this, which means that's where my energy is going to go. You put energy into the people and the things you're committed to. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 11. Those who work there land, this has broad application, will, I love this word, will what? Will have, okay? When you put your work into, see this, the land represents the thing that the farmer is committed to. How many know that if you're a farmer, you're highly committed to your land? Your land, you got to take care of that land. You got to know what you planted last year and what you're planning to plant two years down the road because you've got to manage that soil condition. You've got to put the right things into it, make sure the wrong things aren't there. You've got to, your land is very, very important. And the Bible says those who work their land, their commitments they have. There's certain things that people who work the right commitments have that other people don't. Are you hearing me tonight? That was a great place to say amen, but I'm going to forgive you for not doing that. That's all right, okay. Those who work their land will have, what? Abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. You know what a fantasy is? Just lack of commitment. You're all over the place. That's what a fantasy is. You're all over the place in terms of how you're thinking about life. Here we go. Here's number three. Right commitments discipline your emotions. I'll give you in case you're not familiar with exactly what this means here, disciplines your feelings. And by the way, your feelings really need to be disciplined, okay? Because one of our biggest challenges in life represents our emotions, our feelings. And the problem with feelings is that feelings are extremely unpredictable and feelings are extremely fickle. They're all over the place and far too many people, I'm telling you, especially in our culture today, I don't think I can even any way overstate this, but far too many people and far too many Christians are, are led by their feelings. They don't realize how their feelings are leading them along in life. They're not being led by their commitments. They're being led by their feelings. Let me say that again. Lots of us are not being led by our commitments. We're being led by our feelings. Can I meddle just a little bit for a moment? That'd be okay? Okay. If you wake up on the weekend, on Sunday morning or Saturday night, whatever your regular time is, and you say, I don't feel like going to church this weekend. Or let's just get like a day-to-day -day aspect of your relationship. I don't feel like having my devotions this morning. Now, I'm not talking about that you're really sick and you're physically ill or whatever. I'm just talking about just emotion. I don't feel like praying today, okay? Now, even when you don't, I've had to learn in my life that even when I don't feel like praying, I have a commitment that makes me pray, okay, right? When I don't feel like reading my Bible, I, can't, I have to make the choice of saying, I don't want to live by my feelings. I don't feel like reading my Bible today, but, but I'm going to read my Bible because I've made a commitment that this is beneficial to my life. So I want you to see how this connects. So right commitments bring discipline to your emotions. I've seen a, a lot of folks who are extremely talented and extremely uh, have great potential in their life, but they land so far short of their potential all because their, their feelings are always ruling them. There's nothing wrong with feelings. 
I, I think feelings are great, okay? But feelings were never meant to be in the driver's seat in your life. They can be in the back seat saying, good job, way to go, awesome, but never let them in the driver's seat, okay? Feelings are not meant to be behind the wheel of your life. Commitments are, okay? Commitments are. And so to discipline your commitments means that you gain control over them by some enforcement, by bringing them into order, by training your, yourself to respond in certain ways that disciplines your emotions, that disciplines your feelings. Look at Psalm 42, verse 11. I love this. You'll see, you'll see passages like this all through the book of Psalms. I just wanted to pull one of them out tonight to show you how David had to deal with his own emotions. I obviously never met David. Looking forward to meeting David when we get to heaven. Okay, uh, All these great psalms he's written. I'd love to have just some time to hang out with them. I think we're probably going to have plenty of time to do that uh, when we get to heaven. But I see these kind of verses in the Bible from David. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? What is this right here? It is a... What is it? Why am I feeling so downcast? Why so... What is disturbed? These are real feelings. He's not making them up. He's feeling these things. These are real to him. Why? My soul, my inner being. Remember, the, the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. So your mind is a part of your soul. Why my mind? Why my soul? Why my emotions? Are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And notice what he does. He's got some pretty negative feelings going on, but what does he do next? What does he say next? Read it with me. Come on, help me out here. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see what David is doing there? His feelings are very real, and his feelings are present, but his feelings aren't directing his life. He turns his feelings toward the commitment to put his hope in God and to continue praising him. See, commitment. His commitments are driving his life rather than his emotions. Here's the next thing together. Number four, the fourth thing, right commitments simplify your decisions. When you make the right commitments, life gets a lot simpler for you. One thing that complicates life is, is decisions. Would you agree? You're trying to make the decision about this and the decision about that. So many decisions that rush into our mind every day. But these right commitments in your life make up decisions for you, okay? They set things in motion. When you make certain key big decisions based on what you're committed to, a lot of the small decisions disappear. You don't even have to worry about them anymore, okay? I used the example a few moments ago about church. When you make the, and I'm not, I'm, just, I'm not picking on that one. I'm just using it because it's a good one that we can all particularly relate to and it has impact in our lives. But I've tried to help people over the years to understand that one of the biggest decisions you can make is to make a commitment to, to attend worship, to be in worship every week, okay? And just to make it a big decision. So I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be in worship every weekend of my life because the scripture calls me to fellowship with other believers to not forsake the assembling of myself together with others I'm making that commitment unless I'm sick or unless we're traveling or on vacation I've made the commitment I'm going to be in church that's a big decision you know what that does for me or does for it does for me because I'm the pastor I have to show up but uh, <laughs> I'm not I want to show up I'll say it the way but the point being it's just the average person here just say what what that does is 
You don't even have to think about it when weekend comes up. You don't have to make the decision, are we going to church this weekend? It gets rid of that decision every week, and it simplifies the decisions of your life. And it's true in every realm. It's true for your giving. It's true for your marriage. It's true for the time you'll invest in your kids. It's true for so, so many different things in life. Right commitments simplify your decisions. Here's the next one. Number five. We only have seven of these. We're just about done. Right commitments develop your character. Wow. How many of you want better character? A couple of you do. That's great. Okay. I guess the rest of you are either already perfect or uh, happy to be a little... Um, I won't even use the word. I'll just say it. Right commitments develop your character. How do you build muscles? You never build muscles without, let me write it down, without. That's, that's all muscle building is. Muscle building is pushing against resistance. That's all it is, okay? Let's just, just boil it down to the basic idea of how do you make your muscles stronger? There has to be resistance. You have to press against resistance in some way or work your leg muscles by running against that resistance. We go on and on. That's how you learn. Okay. No resistance, no growth. Okay. No resistance, no growth. And what you need in your life as well as me, you need structure in your life that creates boundaries and resistance in your life. You need something that's telling you yes and no to things. Okay. Things that you're committed to that creates some resistance in your life because if you don't, you'll never grow stronger. And commitments are the boundaries that create resistance. Okay? Think of a commitment like a fence that pushes against you and says where you're going to go in life and what you can do and can't do because you've made a commitment. See, commitment is what you, I'm going to kind of go to, this, uh, to, to a di diversion just for a moment. But commitments are what you include in your life, but they're also what you exclude in your life, right? Because you can't, you, you can't be committed to everything, right? And so if, if you're committed to one thing, automatically it means you're going to exclude some other things, right? So if I'm going to read my Bible in the morning and, and spend some time with God in the morning, it means there's something else I'm not going to do in the morning, okay? So in, it's inclusion and exclusion. So this creates this good spiritual resistance in your life and boundaries in your life. And then whenever you find yourself wanting to run away from a commitment, right? Anybody, you don't need to shake your head on this, but have you ever had the moment that you're just like, I don't like that commitment anymore, okay? I want to run away from that. I don't, I don't feel like doing that anymore. So your feelings begin to push you away. Then what commitment does is commit. So no, I've got to drive toward that because even when things are pushing me away from the commitment, the more I drive toward the right commitment, the stronger my character is going to be. You tracking with me on that? Okay. That's why you need it in your life. Commitments, your emotions, don't, don't let them drive your life because they'll never make you stronger. I've ne never met one person in my life over all these years that lived by their emotions and became stronger in character for it. Never met one person, okay? Now, again, I'm not against emotion. Emotion is a wonderful, fabulous thing to have in your life, wonderful emotions. 
But it's the commitment that grows your character because sometimes your commitment, you just want to run from it, okay? That's normal, okay? That's normal to want to run from a commitment because sometimes commitments are hard, but they're hard for a reason because they build something valuable in your life. Commitments force you and force me to deal with weaknesses in ourselves and deal with weaknesses in other people and and make sure that we're getting stronger. And I'll tell you something else. Commitments will make your mind stronger. It will make your mind stronger. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Right commitments decrease guilt and regret. This is a big one. Let me break down these two words, guilt and regret, just for a moment and uh, talk about them because they're, they're kind of two different things. They go together, but they really are a little bit different. Guilt is really the conscious awareness of missing the mark somewhere. You, you kind of missed it, and you know you missed it morally or in some way in your life. You kind of let either let God down, let yourself down, let somebody else down, so you feel guilty about it. You know you could and should have done better. You had those moments in your life when you just knew you could have and you should have done better, okay? That's called guilt, okay? And you feel that guilt in your life. Regret is a little bit different because it kind of builds off of guilt, but it's that aching feeling of a consequence you forfeited because, or something you forfeited because you could have and should have done better, okay? That's what, those are the two different things. So, I know I could have and should have done better, so I feel guilty, but then something else kicks in, and that's regret that says, oh, and by the way, you're a terrible person because look at what you've done because of this, you've lost this, or you're conscious of something that your mistake or failure or your could have, should have done better has perhaps cost you. But both guilt and regret operate where? In your mind, okay, in your heart, in your mind, okay? And I'll, I'm just as a side note here, and the devil loves, listen closely to me, the, the devil loves to get on your case about what you could have and should have done better and all the things that you now can regret in your life. That's, 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 that's primarily, I mean, he's got a few strings on his guitar, but that's one of the major strings on his guitar that he plays, Okay. He'll get in your head. He just plays that one thing, guilt, regret. He plays that one song over and over again. And his desire is he's trying to get you to sing his song, okay? He's playing that one song on, on, on that string, and he plays it long enough so that you start feeling that over and over again, and you can't get that song out of your head, the song of guilt and regret. So everywhere you go, what song's playing in your head? The devil's song of guilt and regret, it's like number one on the top list of hell, okay? It's like, it's like the, the billboard chart of hell, that's the number one list song there, okay? Guilt and regret. And here's the thing about commitment. This is the thing that, that we need to understand here. Everybody in this room, if you're honest, you experience at times legitimately guilt and regret. Amen? Not a single one of us that we're, we don't have those moments that we could have and should have done better and we regret something because we didn't do as good as we could have done. We all have that. It's impossible to ha- live life apart from that. That's why, again, I am so grateful for Jesus loving us as he loves us and giving us the great promises that says he's the one that brings forgiveness and cleansing for our sins and he gives us a, a brand new start. And our... So here's the deal. Whenever you've not done everything you could have 
could have done and should have done, and you feel some regret, turn it around on the devil. Don't let him turn it on you. Turn it around on him. What I mean by that is just say, you know what? I could have and I should have done better. I agree that that was a failure. I thank my God that he forgives me because I've confessed my sins. I will not live in my grave. Actually, what I'm going to do, devil, is I'm going to make a stronger commitment to do the right thing the next time. Okay? Okay. And the next time that situation comes my way, actually, this thing is going to, it's going to, it's not going to make me weaker. This thing's going to make me stronger because I've learned a lesson through this. And because I've learned a lesson through this, I'm not going to live in the guilt and the regret. I'm going to strengthen my commitment so that as I go forward, what I've learned from this has made me stronger. Okay. So you just simply turn it around. Stop looking back and start making new commitments now, okay? I'm preaching a little bit right there. I kind of slipped out of the teacher to the preacher for a minute, okay? Here we go, number seven. Right commitments do what? Deepen your relationships. All this is, has to do with your mind because where do commitments happen? In your mind, okay? You set your mind to something. That's what a commitment is. If I were to ask you, what is the, in, in real, in meaningful relationships of life, what is the thing you want in a relationship more than anything else? I'm going to answer that question for you because you may not use this word, but I believe it's what you're looking for and what I'm looking for in meaningful relationships of life, and that's this word. What's that word? I'm not talking physical. I'm talking about the fact that you feel understood and you understand the other person and there's a realness to the relationship. What do you want in your relationship with Jesus? You want what kind of relationship with Jesus? An intimate relationship with Jesus. You want to know him and you want to have relationship with him. You want to share your heart with him. Yeah, these are, and, and the same is true in a marriage. What makes a marriage good? What? Intimacy, not physical in nature only, but I'm talking emotional connection, heart level uh, uh, connection, mindset, attitude connection, intimacy. Now, what creates intimacy? Intimacy is feeling safe, it's feeling accepted, it's feeling close, it's feeling connected. What creates intimacy in a relationship? Well, before, yeah, who said it? Oh, there you go. Ada, come up here and preach the rest of this message for me, okay? I wasn't sure people would get that, but the, the one thing that creates intimacy is trust, right? Have you noticed the more you've trusted Jesus, the more intimate your relationship is with him, right? Correct, okay. Now let's get down. What creates trust? Ada? Commitment, right? Would you all agree with me? Are you going to trust somebody who's not committed to you? Now if you've got a brain in your head. Okay. That's why, ladies, be careful. Okay. Men, be careful. You don't want to enter into a relationship that lacks this because if it lacks this, you can't have this, okay? So it's the commitment because I, the more I know how committed Jesus is to me, what is my response? I trust him more, okay, right? 
Are you with me here tonight? Okay. And so the more I trust him, what, what, what is the byproduct of that? The more intimate my relationship is with him. And so what I want you to see tonight is that you can't dispose of this and expect to have this. Commitment leads to increased trust, which leads to increased intimacy in your life. And so if you're not building your life on this, you're never going to have the deepest relationships that you could have in life. And what does everybody long for? Everybody longs for meaningful relationships. I can't tell you the number of times I've had and continue to have conversations with people. And I say, what's going on? Well, my relationships are messed up. Or my, my marriage is not what it needs to be. I don't have any friends in my life. Whatever it might be. And those are all relationship issues. And so what you do when you increase your right commitments to people around you, certainly to God first and foremost, because when you increase your commitment to God, God, I'm going to be more committed to you than ever before. Not in, out of works, not because you're trying to work your way to make God. You can't be good enough to make God impressed with you. He's holy. He's perfect, okay? You can't impress him with your works, but you can impress him with your commitment, okay? Commitment's not a work. As I'm committed to you, God. I'm going to have my ups and downs, but, but Lord, every time I have a down, I'm right back with you. I'm like the prodigal son. If I get away from home, I, well, as soon as I recognize it, I run back home as quick as I can, okay? Because I'm committed to the Father, okay? And the Lord says, okay, there's a trust that's happening. Now we can begin to share intimacy together. There's a closer relationship that we can have with one another. All I'm trying to share with you tonight is that when it comes to your thinking, you've got to include in your thinking your what? Your commitments. What are you committed to? Who are you committed to? And understanding the right commitments in your life produce tremendous benefits for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We're grateful for the word of God and how it encourages us and teaches us and trains us to be all that you want us to be. So Lord, we ask you to help us to think about the commitments in our life. What do we set our minds to, Lord? Lord, help us to set our minds to the right things, to be committed to the right things, not to be driven by the emotions of our life, but, Lord, to establish the right commitments, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.